Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 73. I'm your host, Martino Puccio, returning after no internet last week, just strictly Wi-Fi. So I couldn't record the episode, but Mo Ali was on. It was great. Um, we got the full gang in here today, Pet and Matt. How you fellas doing? I'm doing very well. It's surprising that we're getting more listeners, considering people should really be bored of the three of us talking about football. <laughs> no, and honestly, we're we're delivering the best. We got the best podcast, guys. Come on, they're they're, they're just they're just warming up to us now. Because now it's you know at first it's do these guys know football, and then it's like do we like these guys? It's like we like these guys, and they know football. I think we're in that territory now. Really? So, oh, wow. so I think so too, because I've Brave. been getting messages about uh, after every single mm-hmm. episode, just from people that say they love this stuff. So it's great for the support. Obviously, well, the we, FCA we, we, too. we did get that, that, that comment pet, right? Uh, the Arsenal fan who came to you yes. directly and said like, this is his favorite podcast. So having someone like today. that reach out to us. No, this was last week. Uh, he reached out. No, to no, Pat, he just Pat asked today it. about when the new pod was coming out. Yeah. Benjamin Simon. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Simon, yeah, he yeah. tagged us. So shout out Benjamin. Hello. And then we have a couple other, you know, regular, regular commenters like uh, Dieter. I know he really shares our episodes. So shout out yes. to Dieter for, for making sure those episodes get out to his timeline. But yeah, we're, we're growing. I think we're doing a really good job. I think Martino specifically with the post-match for Milan games. I think that's gotten a ton more people to... Uh, join us in the state of play family so thank you to uh to those who have uh joined the ride early here in the air please do leave us a review on itunes by the way everyone and yeah shout out martino yes. uh he's he's on to something with the live streams after the milan games i'm going to do one after arsenal newcastle uh on monday and we're going to do some hopefully on sunday because there's the uh, manchester derby and then the juve inter game after as well so we might try and do two so good awesome. so good it's what such a it's such a great matchup i love um whenever some of these football accounts post all the f- top fixtures in the world during uh, a certain month, like January is just loaded with great fixtures. Um, and like this weekend is like the top one, but you know, it's just been, it's just been so great. And the season, you know, we're coming to the halfway point now in a lot of these leagues. So, you know, knockout stages of the champions league, this is where, again, where everything becomes so much fun on top of uh the transfer market too because it's it just gets more and more fascinating to me guys on how on how this is working there's so many fans from so many clubs getting angry at their <laughs> at their directors at their clubs like we're not spending any money here we're not spending any money there it's like nobody's spending money at this point mm. nobody really knows what's going to happen like we're not even getting you know 10% capacity across all leagues Arsenal in these stadiums. And Tottenham just got loans from the Bank of England 120 million for Arsenal, 175 million for for Spurs. They're not allowed to be used for transfers, of course, but they can. You can move stuff around the counter seat wise to give you more financial yeah. flexibility. But even the big clubs, they're in. If you don't have an oil rich owner, you're in trouble. It's not. It's not even that. I don't think it's. It's just strict because a lot of these owners, included like you know Milan, could be one of them that people like to point to. Like Elliot's a hedge fund. They have billions of dollars at their disposal it's the fact that the club doesn't have it and yeah. swiss ramble released their their which is an awesome records. awesome account it, it it really is we should get someone on from there eventually that would be that'd be amazing for for the insight on this stuff but it's you know we don't even know what's up in the air with the ffp situation as well like we don't know what what clubs are restricted and what they're able to pull off at the same time there's tons of like long-standing loans that'll be obligations or options at the end of you know 18 months for some of them like leo duarte was one of them for i know i know i'm just like you know keep on bringing them up but it's just an example of it's just you know another 18 month loan because these these teams can't pay up front and the most prominent one that's coming right now and this is obviously one of the more difficult ones in general even if it wasn't a pandemic year pet is mesozotil uh excuse me botch that mesozotil um it's either Turkey or the States at this point. Mm. Um, there's been rumors of DC United over here. And I think it was Fenerbahce over in Turkey. Yeah. Um, for me, this is, this is just fascinating on the front of just the way his career went over the, over at uh, Arsenal and then where it's going and how it is eventually going to have to work out. Because at the end of the day, like 
that's a lot of money to pay someone on wages. He's going to eventually have to take a pay cut. Who is going to do it? And the implications on MLS as well, you know, with their wages over there, with some of their players don't even make six figures. Um, for me, it's just fascinating. And what do you think is the ultimate solution here? I don't know if he ends up in the States. I, I genuinely think if he's going anywhere, it's it's back to uh, Turkey and play for Fenerbahce. It looks like Fenerbahce is the the first and foremost club that are after him. Although Chris Wheatley, who is really super close to him and his team, uh, broke the news about DC United. I know that Meza Erzul has a coffee brand or coffee shop that's kind of circulating those areas. Look, I don't know if the COVID situation and the kind of political unrest in the US had maybe anything to do with it because it kind of came a couple of days before that the 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 uh the riot um that happened in DC and um that talk just kind of stopped straight afterwards. I think that's probably a coincidence. I think his heart is probably set on going back to Turkey. Um him and his wife and his and his baby girl, family obviously uh are Turkish, etc. Um he did a QA yesterday um and I always get surprised because I'm like Mesut Ozil has been at Arsenal for a while and I always forget how just how big his brand is. He has the biggest brand in football, probably apart from apart from like Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Mbappe. Turkish I, online presence is unbelievable. Mass- he has so many followers on social media and he has such a sticky fan base. I mean, Mo Salah is another one who has a really, really big one, of course, being kind of like the leading light from Egypt and um, a lot of uh, that population. It's the most popular him. Arabic player. It's going to, yes, you know, that's, exactly. it's only natural. Um, so there are a few, there's only, yeah, a handful or two handfuls full of players that uh, that have got bigger brands than Mesut Ozil. So if you're a team like Fenerbahce or DC United who are looking at this from a purely brand appeal standpoint, it's likely a decent investment. Um, now, how that how big that investment will be, the rumours are that Arsenal do not want to contribute to any of his salary if he goes in January, mm-hmm. which is obviously an issue because who's going to pick up that £350,000 a week bill? Um <laughs> somewhere like Turkey where the tax laws are slightly different, especially for footballers, which is why a lot of players are attracted out there, um, would be interesting because perhaps he could take less money but make the same-ish net, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I think that looks like the most likely in his QAA. Yesterday he talks about how Fenerbahce are like the Real Madrid of Turkey. He said how it's like the club he supported when he was a kid. Um, Loads of other things. He he also kind of had a few jibes at... uh, kind of how he thought he was enjoying and playing well uh, uh, before the COVID break and then afterwards was frozen out. Um, Talks about kind of uh, Germany and and leaving there. So I think, you know, an interesting Q&A, but something didn't feel right about how... uh, (laughs) I mean, this is maybe me as an Arsenal fan talking, but like it turned into kind of like a a press release, uh, which is obviously, again, him leveraging his massive social media presence because how many other footballers could do a Q&A and basically send ripples into the media and have like 30 articles written off the back of it? Not that many, right? So... I know, I know, well, I know Lukaku does, does it somewhat often. I, I don't, I don't think he does it in this fashion. Again, there's, if there's a, the context is key here, right? Because there's yeah. nothing about Lukaku leaving. It, that's more of like a interaction with, with the, with the followers and all oh, that yeah. stuff. Whereas Oso was kind of addressing things more so oh, yeah. related to his future and, and stuff. But I want to read this real quick about, uh, oh, so this was last week when all the buzz came about uh, the, the Wheatley rumor with him going to DC United. This was from Stephen Goff. He's a writer for Washington Post. Uh, buzz about Mesut Ozil moving to DC services again today in London. I'm told there's nothing new. Sides have spoken periodically since 2019. No offers, no news, no coffee shops opening at Audi Field. Maybe DC United makes a very expensive run at him down the road. A reminder, he's accustomed to making 470000 per week US. So <laughs> that's that's no way DC United. I mean, when you look at, and I think we talked about this in previous episodes when we had a more um, centralized uh, discussion on MLS, the money involved and all that stuff. And it feels like there's only a select few clubs that would be in a position to make that sizable investment, right? Per week, per week, right? You know, LA Galaxy, LAFC, uh, maybe Atlanta United, very few clubs would I think invest that much money. So if, if, this is something that DC United wants to pursue. They're going to have to 
plan for this, anticipate this sort of moves happening, move some things around, free it up so they can make Ozil happen. Because that's not something that you just snap your finger and say, hey, we want to talk with Ozil, <laughs> we want to make this thing happen in one month, you know? But like at the same time, his Arsenal contract that he just got was the biggest of his career. And I think that's the biggest he will ever have. His next contract will not be as big. The wages will be big. Absolutely. But like, there's no way he's getting 350K a week no, in Tokyo. I mean, on, on his Q&A, uh, someone asked, this was the last question he answered, by the way, will you continue your career as a footballer after your contract at Arsenal uh, ends? He said, I definitely will. There are two countries I want to play football in before I retire, Turkey and the USA. If I went to Turkey, I could only go to Fenerbahce. So could it be that he goes and plays for turkey for two years and then goes to the mls at the start of the mls season in two years uh so he starts in their you know season in january february 2023 great great question so could that i was thinking i was thinking about this and logically it makes more sense to go to the usa first really brand can only get so much bigger in turkey than it already is um and Logically, right, your better years are going to be, you know, now opposed to a couple years down the road, right? We know he hasn't played as much in in recent times. So obviously he's going to have well-rested legs, but at the end of the day, he's on the worst side of 30. So it's eventually going to catch up to him. But the USA, his brand has the potential to be massive. He would easily be the most popular player in the league outside of Chicharito, right? Because we know the presence of, you know, Mexican fans and it's well warranted and he's all the way out in Los Angeles. So geographically, it makes a ton of sense. But East Coast wise, East Coast has the biggest media. Um, He plays in a he would be playing in a town that is, you know, historically known for, you know, not having the most winners in recent time, they've recently won championships with their hockey and baseball teams, but there's been a lot of turmoil over there. Wayne Rooney has played over there, obviously, but the way Wayne Rooney fell off a cliff was Ronaldinho-esque. So it's a little bit different for Otsil the and with the coffee shop thing too, as well. And we know that whole thing is just a little bit separate, but just in terms of brand, his exposure, um, he's a well-known name. Like he's a Premier League star on top of being a star and the biggest club in the world when he was at Real Madrid. Like the capacity to just grow even more and just come back and play in, in front of some of the fans. And I know the sentiment of Arsenal fans towards Mesut Ozil is more towards your side of, of the fence, Pet, than it is towards, you know, liking him and him being well-received. In, ter- in terms of that, I just think it's a home run if he goes to the MLS first, but I think he would be giving up a little bit more um, in that aspect. But for me, he can go to Turkey anytime, you know, I mm. for, for the MLS and the money and the opportunity, I don't think that's going to be there in a couple of years if he goes to Turkey, not the same one. He will always have that opportunity because MLS will always take a name if they can get one because it only helps their brand. But to, to be the first match in the first league that Mesut Ozil plays in um, after the fact, and when the MLS season starts too, Matt, because they start in March. He'd be going in the middle of the season over there in Turkey, right? He still gets time to at least get in shape, and then he's he's getting into game shape the same amount of point. times as his squad point. players would. So the timing makes sense for me. Um, DC is is a mess right now, but probably by the time he gets there, it would be perfect. And, and honestly, just in terms of timing and everything, it's just going to come down to the financial numbers. Like these numbers are astronomical there. We haven't really seen anything like this. So to see the way it unfolds eventually, we'll see how it happens. And don't forget the Kroenke connection as well in this, because they're going to know a lot of the people that are owners um, in the MLS and sports franchise owners in this country, because, you know, Connections matter. It's all about who you know at the end of the day as well. And and wrote one last point on Ozil, we can move on to uh, the other topics we have here. I think you, know, you make a great point there, Martino, that you know I, the landscape has switched um, in recent years as far as some of these MLS franchises going after these um, aging players, players kind of past their front prime, looking for one more big paycheck before they retire. You know, the like when Lampard joined New York City FC, when Pirlo joined, they weren't nearly the same player at all. It wasn't even close. So I think if you're looking at the landscape of what MLS is right now, as far as their investments in some of these players, I think they're going for more of that young South American profile. 
profile of, you know, they're scouting for the younger player because I don't think they're, they're trying to shake that sort of retirement league label that they kind of still unfairly get in my opinion. I think they've done a good job in doing so. But I think if you're Osul, maybe you do something like what Ibrahimovic did, right? You come here, mm-hmm. you come here with a couple more years left to prove something. You play at a high level like he did. And then you come back to a team like Fenerbahce where you're 34, 35. I mean, he's what, early 30s right now? He's not old. He's not and players. Players have been pretty good in their mid-30s over there in Turkey too. No, it's not I, like no, I know that. Be, what, I'm, yeah. what I'm saying no, to no, you no, is I'm that a lot, of these, a lot of these players – you know, I think the time would be maybe now to go here for a year, year and a half, build that sort of exposure, lever- leverage that, as you guys have been mentioning. And then you could always retire at Fenerbahce. I think that opportunity will always be there. But um, I, I just th- I see the landscape shifting further and further away from the 35 to 36 year old guy who's costing a ton of money. Yeah, he brings the name and he can sell some shirts. But I think you're tying up so much money in that player that it really just helps. It just diminishes the rest of the squad. It's not the same in, 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 in Europe where you have a player you can afford to accommodate a heavy wage if you have the talent around them. So I think that's kind of where I'm getting at with my point here. But we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see how things play out. Um, I think we'll, we'll learn a little bit more about what his next step is and, and maybe in the next couple of weeks, I would say. Mm-hmm. I think that in January we'll have an, uh, an understanding of where he's, where he's headed to next. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a difficult operation. You know, it's, it's a little over three weeks for that to get done and, it, and it'll be pretty difficult. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that works out. Um, where do we want to move to next guys? We have a, we have a few names on here. Um, how about Jaden Sancho and in Borussia Dortmund? Um, we'll keep it kind of English type because we could hop all over the place. None of these names are truly linked um, with one another, but Jaden Sancho again, Scoring a goal over the weekend. Holland came back. He bagged another two. It was an important win for them. Um, Sancho had a real tough start to the season um, in, in terms of goal scoring contributions and his output and just overall play. And, that, and it was really a, a Dortmund thing too, right? Lucien Farver getting sacked as well. So, Pet, my main question is, is Sancho already back to that level that he was at last year where he was getting 20 goals, 20 assists um, right around in that range, or, you know, was that level too high for him to, to stay at? Because we know how highly we think of him on this podcast and we think he is that talented of a player. Is it something to do with, you know, um, not being able to make a move to the premier league and eventually going to Manchester United? Is it, is it just something that he's kind of just like, all right, if anything, I'm just here for another season who really cares how it goes. And not to say that's what his line of thinking is. It just, you know, is that a contributing factor potentially to, to the way that he was playing? Um, because now he's, he's turning a corner. It's pretty, it's pretty obvious uh, there. I think that it's normal that your subconscious would feel a little bit uh, demotivated if a big move back to your home country to the team that you wanted to go to fell through. And I also think that the COVID disruption and, uh, you know, the injury to Haaland and not having him to play with for, for a couple of games has been not good. Lucien Favre thing. There's two things, right? He was either massively overperforming last season and he's now trying to get back to a better level towards that trajectory, or he's going to go back to that level um it it looks like it's gonna be somewhere in between where maybe last season his numbers aren't going to be replicable but they're still going to be that in line of someone who is a top three player who is under 21 in the world right um you know i said pre-season that him and harland are the best under 21 duo of all time i stand by that those two single-handedly dismantled one of Europe's top teams in Leipzig. You know, this was a Leipzig who uh, qualified through UCL group with PSG and, um, and Man United. Uh, this is a Leipzig team that have beaten PSG, uh, um, United, uh, and so many other clubs over the last year. Um, this is a Leipzig that, that went to the semifinals in the UCL last year. So this is no mean feat. I thought in that game, Haaland absolutely bullied Pocano. He looked a bit leggy in his first game back from injury. I thought he wasn't at his best, but in this game, he just looked unreal. I thought he was maybe his best 
game that I'd seen for Dortmund against a big team. Um, and it was just absurd to watch. I mean, the footwork for someone his height, it's like he keeps surprising everyone because I think when he first burst onto the scene, it was kind of like, I know this started about Sancho and you asked about Sancho, but I know we want to talk about Haaland as well because you can't kind of say one without the other these days. That works. <laughs> <laughs> um, Erling Haaland, like when he first came on the scene, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, his movement's great and he's really good at finishing, but he's just so much physically better than some, everyone his age, right? You know, playing in the under-17s World Cup, he was just bigger, faster, stronger than everyone. Um, and of course, technically an elite finisher. And it's kind of like, well, if he, is he just like a, a in-the-box merchant, so to speak? And then uh, I think the game against PSG, where he he scored the the cracker from 25 yards, everyone was kind of like, okay, well, didn't know he had that in the locker. And I think he's doing things this season where every other game I'm kind of like, I didn't really know he was that good at that. And in the Leipzig game, it was the hold-up play, the burst off the mark, it was the footwork, it was the link-up with Royce and Sancho. Um, I thought he, his overall game is just getting better. Like, every month, it's ridiculous. So, yeah, him and Sancho finding form again after this little uh, blip for Sancho, the little injury thing for, for Haaland. I think, yeah, as I said natural for a player when they don't get their move not to be as motivated how many times have we seen it before we've seen it with you know Wayne Rooney in the past we've seen it with Alexis Sanchez at Arsenal where um he, he didn't get his move to Man City in the summer and is mm. played shit for six months like it, it happens <laughs> and I think it happens to players who are far more experienced and more mature than a Jane Sancho who is 20 at the end of the day so uh, I think people need to cut him some slack for that and also his numbers were crazy good. And these are the, these are the standards that you set yourself when you're so good, you're a victim of your own success and him coming back with a, a goal and an assist should have been another assist where the uh, Harland hit in the bar um, and getting a goal and an assist the week prior to that as well. So it's four goals and assists for him in two games. It's looking like things are on the up for Dortmund overall as well. Um, I think the new coach has made them a bit more structurally and defensively sound um, but the football that they play on the counter has been really, really good. It isn't just kind of like counter-attacks. It's really good, progressive play from the back on a counter-attack that is leading to some of their chances and their goals. Yeah, I think with Sancho too, it's, you know, a lot of people were, were down on him with the start of the season he had. I think and you could also look at the fact that Dortmund were just weren't um, the same team that we were we have come to know over the past couple of years, right? Just uh, young, vibrant, a lot of personalities, enthusiastic, could score goals, look look aesthetically pleasing with their style of football. And then you see Sancho coming into this season after not having the move go, um, you know, go about for, for Manchester United. And then you kind of question, it's, well, is that more on the coaching? Is that more on the system? Is that something just a, a kind of a, a carryover from not getting that move? But really, when you look at a player like Sancho, his talent's undeniable. And all it really takes is around a sixth, seventh month period right here, um, from January onwards for people to say, ah, this is the guy. This is why Manchester United really wanted this guy. This is why he's so highly rated. And it's going to make for a really interesting transfer saga because I think now we're starting to see that maybe Manchester United will be looking at different profiles, right? They have a lot of attackers. They, you know, Cavani's in the fold. They have Greenwood, Martial, Rashford. So they have numbers there. And then you look at all the kind of other factors that can come into play. Is Liverpool an option? Is City maybe a return there, you know? So that's going to be interesting. But I think it's great to see, you know, Holland come back healthy, you know, looking sharp, you know, scoring just a, a demon when he, when he, you know, when he made that one goal happen, you know. But with Sancho, it, it's – there's something truly special about a player who um, you can respond in the, in, the, in, the, in the sort of instances that he's had where he hasn't looked as good, he's young. And we all look at the players who perform at a high level at a very young age. But when you get kind of brushed back, you you get knocked down a peg. It's that response, that reaction that you want to see. So I'm 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 glad to see that from Sancho and to see him putting in the performances we know he's capable of. Yeah, um, and even back to the Holland point, real quick as well. It's important to note he's only been at Dortmund for a little over a year, so it's just the whole environment and league that he has to adapt to, and the fact that he adjusted to it so quickly and was producing. I remember we were in our WhatsApp chat when um, I was on my way to work in the morning, and Pet was just saying like, "This guy is unbelievable. He's scoring like, I think he might have had three or four goals in one of his first games for Dortmund. It was just, and he was com- he was coming off the bench producing like this, and he returns from injury just now, and he's bagging two goals in a game." And again, on the Sancho point as well, 
we talk about English media and the hype a lot of these players get. He has a lot of pressure coming from that too. And it might be a little bit easier since he's not playing in the Premier League at the moment, but just all of those factors in there, it's really nice to see a player like that bounce back. So I'm happy for him. I think he's going to continue uh, on that path. But let's head over to – actually, you know what? We'll stick with the the Premier League as well. Uh, well, we didn't stick with it. There's just so many – all these names are linked with the Premier League uh, on top of it. But um, Caicedo, guys. This kid has been linked with almost every top club forever. We thought it was a lock to Manchester United this month as well. That fell through. Then Fabrizio Romano was reporting how many clubs were actually in on this Ecuadorian starlet. And it's Brighton. <laughs> Brighton comes in and swoops him. Um, that That's looking likely like that's going to be finished. This is one of the more top South American talents. Um bigger South American talents currently. This is, I mean, listen, this is great for Brighton. Whether or not it works out or not, just the fact that they got to this point um, is just fantastic to convince a player of this caliber and potential to come in on your project and and try and be a part of it is great. Um, Whether or not it ends up being successful, Pat, I I would let you be the judge of that because you know a lot more about Brighton uh, than the both of us. I mean, do you like this fit? Is this is this a path that he would have gone down that is better for him? I don't think Manchester United necessarily is the best fit. There's so many guys um, within that roster uh, and squad. Sorry, I always get rosters more of an American term. But there's there's just so many players in there. There's limited minutes. I know there's so many competitions in England, but – do you think Brighton's a good enough spot for him in, in this uh, development phase? Because it's not like they're, you know, this talent factory that just turns out and develops these world-class players all the time, you know? Yeah. So, so it's a, it's a, it's a little tough to gauge on how high of a ceiling um, Caicedo could reach there. I think the one thing about Brighton is that they're a well-run club off the pitch and on the pitch. A lot of people say that they're unlucky. I think that they're just bad at finishing games off. They draw too many games. Um, what they've done with the Eve Pesuma, I think, has been phenomenal. And this wouldn't be the first time where a player like Pesuma, who was linked to Arsenal, United and a few other places when he went from Lille, randomly goes to Brighton. Um, it's probably similar to what we're seeing here with Moises Caicedo, right? Um, And could it be the fact that he is that um, player that maybe longer term um, replaces Bissouma? Because it's funny, there were links that um, Arsenal, Liverpool and Man U want Bissouma in the summer. um, And they're very, very interested in him. Um, I have to profess, I haven't seen too much of Moises Caicedo, so I won't profess, I won't, I won't pretend and be an, equi- uh, an ex- expert on South American football. What is very interesting with Brexit is that it's easier or not as hard. It's, or it's definitely not as hard as it used to be to get South American imports. So we've already seen it's creeping through. Um, so we've obviously had uh, Gabriel Martinelli, uh, Pablo Mari to Arsenal. We've had a load of other South American talents linked to the Premier League. Um, and I think this will be the first of many. The way it works now is that um, you don't necessarily need international caps. You can have domestic caps and they don't even have to be first division. So let's say if you're playing in the Argentinian second league, you can have over a certain amount of domestic caps and that makes you eligible for a work permit in the UK. That's the kind of way it works now. When Arsenal sacked all, the, all their... Um, scouts the ones that they kept were the south american ones which is really interesting so i see this as being a trend of south american footballers coming to the uk um but i also think you know am i surprised that uh agents and rumors drum up interest from linking up uh, linking a promising young talent to united or any other big club no because it happens all the time and often more often than not like all the players that get linked to United, Liverpool, Arsenal, City, Chelsea, a lot of them don't go to those clubs and go to clubs in a lower rank. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad move. Uh, Brighton have a, a good coach. If they stay in the division, I think it would be good for his development, especially if Yves Basuma does end up going in the summer. And I think with Caicedo too, you know, you know, 
as, as Pep mentioned, you know, I, I don't claim to be an expert on um, Casado's profile, what he would offer Brighton, you know, so on and so forth. But I will say this, though, I think it's um, it's I, I do like seeing a young player who understands the opportunity, the importance of the opportunity to come to the Premier League, even if it's not, you know, this big seismic move to a Manchester United, a City, a Liverpool, an Arsenal, a Tottenham, someone like that. I, the important thing is he's getting those minutes. I mean, he's going to get paid. Well, obviously he's playing Premier League football at a young age, and this is a massive opportunity for him. I think he's understanding of the fact that he's going to get those reps. He's going to get those necessary minutes. And if he shows what he's worth and he's fully capable of the next level, then that opportunity will come to join a bigger club. So I think that's a really important thing to look at here with some of these players. Cause we see so often you now that you get that, uh, that, that draw, that allure of, you know, because there was Man United links to, to Caicedo and, you know, they just got a Triore, but you know, they, the links to Man United, that can sometimes be a starstruck factor for a young kid, right? You're going from, you know, somewhere in South America to, wow, I'm, I'm playing for Manchester United. I have an opportunity to join him. And then you go there and you don't play, you play maybe occasional cup matches. And then you go into that spell of going on loan throughout the, the Premier League or English football, and then you just never quite get back on track. So I think that's an important thing to consider here too with Casado, and I'm sure maybe that's something that kind of crosses his mind when he when he's reportedly accepting this move to Brighton is the opportunity. The Premier League is a huge league; it's a massive opportunity for him to showcase himself. And if you're worthy of the next level, the, those big suitors will come, and I think that's what a lot of people are hoping for um, with this move. Yeah, and, you know, four international caps and, and a goal already for Ecuador after just turning 19 in November. Um, I remember I was reading and watching a lot about him back in September when he was linked to Milan because I have nothing else to do with my life. So, um, yeah, the, the kid has potential, but there's a lot of refining that he needs to do, um, and hopefully Brighton will get that to him. So we'll see how that goes. Best of luck to him. Um, it'll be interesting to follow the rest of his career. What to talk about next? I guess we'll just stick with Tomori in the, in the Premier League, right? Um, we had Alex Goldberg on a while back, Matt, um, and you were on with me for this. Pet Pet wasn't there, and Tomori has just been, you know, one of the hot names that are coming that comes out of Chelsea. Um, center back, very talented. You know, he's he's coming from that mold of you know the the younger talents that they have with the Mason Mounts of the world, Callum Hudson Odoi's. Um, uh, Reese James, there's just so many of them over there. And Tomori's kind of one of those guys that has gotten lost in in the litter of all of them. Um, he's 23, so he isn't, you know, the youngest of, of talents that you could have out there. But he's also a center back. So at the end of the day, center backs, I like to think, develop later on. It takes a little bit longer. Examples like Virgil van Dijk is another one of them. I know Barzagli is obviously another guy that I always like to use in examples like this, but he needs playing time. Like this is, this is what happens when Chelsea, the way they operate a lot of the time, a lot of these talents and players kind of get lost within the team sheet. They have a hard time cracking the first team, getting real minutes for them to develop, you know, because it's nice at the end of the day, sometimes to sit and watch and learn, but the best way to get better is by playing and by learning from your mistakes on the pitch experience. at the same time. Exactly. And getting that experience. But the one team that he's been le- linked to and Fabrizio Romano again said this yesterday was our club Milan. And he would get a lot of good minutes here um, because of the constant injury crisis is that they have uh, the outgoing players at the defensive position that no longer have a spot within the team. This would be a lone move mm-hmm. for me. Good as in a permanent transfer, in terms of a loan move, I think it could only do so much for him if it's six months. For me, it needs to be 18 months if he really wants to get something out of it. For six months, you can only get so much. It's nice to be at a big club, but he's already at a big club. He needs it's, the experience. And I just, think, too, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry Martino. No, go just, ahead, go. just real quick, to, you know, with, with this one, too, I think you make a fantastic point. I think six months you know, in, in, from an internal, a domestic transfer, that's a little bit more of a different case, right? There's the settling in, your tomorrow's going to have to move. I mean, these are all factors you've got to consider, right? Moving over, you know, finding a place, you know, the culture, you know, the languages, like in six months. And then, oh, by the way, 
we're in the midst of a title chase and we're in the Europa League. Like, we need you to play a key role here. So, like, and to, to kind of mesh and to be integrated into the team dynamic that is so cohesive, so watertight with Stefano Pioli's team right now. Um, I think that's something that you have to look at here. So uh, we don't have, obviously, the full you know, details of this deal, the, the structure of the, of the, of the potential transfer. Um, but this is coming off the back of um, the Mohamed Simak and which are going to be had Mo on last week to talk about. At that point, things looked like they were pretty much set for Milan to acquire him, but things change in a matter of a week. You have uh, you know, some transfer negotiations between uh, Milan and uh, Strasbourg and then Leipzig was kind of coming in there as well. And then you get the injury and now all of a sudden Milan have really, really redirected their efforts to, um, you know, strengthen that back line. I'm thinking this could be potentially something like an 18 month loan with an option to buy. Um, that's how I would like to see this happen. Cause I think six months is just not enough. Number one, number two, Milan have Simon Kaya, Romagnoli, Gabia, and then Tomori. So that he would be your fourth, you know, strong central defender. Number one, number two, Duarte has gone. And Musaki is probably going to leave for free in the summer. So you're going to need to go back to the well in the summer for a central defender. So I think an 18 month loan here with option would benefit Tomori quite well. who will give him some time. There's really not much pressure there. Number one, number two, y- there's that little bit of relationship there with um, Milan and Chelsea from the Bakayoko situation. Mm. I, my biggest concern with this is that he's going to come here. He's going to get minutes because of injuries and just natural, you know, fatigue play well. And then Milan are going to be in a position where they're going to have to pay a handsome option or handsome obligation or something like that. And Marina's those things are very tricky to work out. So we'll wait and see how this plays out. If it does you know, transpire the way we think it will now as, as Tomori being the prime objective for Milan to shore up the back line, but uh, um, he fits the profile. He's 23. Um, he's got your know, Premier League experience. He's coming from a big club. So there's a lot of upside with this move. I just got to see the structure of the deal because at the end of the day, yeah. there's wages involved. There's, uh, you know, essentially you don't want to be a team that's uh, developing players for other clubs, right? You want to be a team that, hey, if Tomori does well, we deem him a key player moving forward. Yeah, I, I just th- I just think the whole situation and the relationship mar- with Marina and Chelsea could be a little bit difficult because that Bakayoko saga really dragged out and they could never find a, a middle ground. Um and she's very she's very bullish on the prices, and it's Chelsea too. You know, like Chelsea don't really give any favors to anybody when they when they make a move. Like you know, Aiden Hazard to Real Madrid is like seeing the way he's playing at Madrid now or whatever he does play. It's a, it's a hell of a sale. You got a hundred million pounds or euros for a player who's not even playing, and he had one year left on the deal. So good luck trying to find a formula from her when Milan really don't have much leverage in this situation. Um, and speaking of Real Madrid, Luka Jovic. Um, just another move that didn't really materialize at all. Um, was amazing at Frankfurt. Um, Pet knows this. They beat them down in the Europa League. Sorry, just had to bring that up. <laughs> um, I remember watching that game. It was around Thanksgiving, I believe. Um, over here in the States. The wages are crazy for him. Um, him and Zidane don't really get along. They don't have a great relationship. It's not something that has been great from the start. Um, there's been rumors that he isn't the best training player in terms of practicing, uh, being timeliness, uh, professional. There were issues with COVID-related back in um, his home country where, you know, he wasn't really following guidelines and, you know, that's just a sign of immaturity. And, you know, it's one thing after another, after another. And you say to yourself, there's only so many clubs again, like we were talking about earlier in this episode that can afford him on those wages that are willing to take him on. And the environment has to be right. And it's coming down that he has to go back to Frankfurt again. And that's the only environment at this point that makes sense to me. Um, I would assume Real Madrid have to pay some of this salary because I don't know how Frankfurt are going to be able to afford it because that that's some of the issues with Real Madrid. A lot of the times when they get players that come into the squad, their, their wages are just so crazy. And it was a huge move for him. And everyone thought it was going to be great. Like this was the replacement that would help take off some of the pressure from Benzema, help replace some of that goal scoring that Cristiano Ronaldo provided 
But now we're looking at one of their bigger flops in history. And, and I think it is at that point where it's really run its course. He's probably just going to have to get back into shape. He's also not healthy at this point. I don't see it again, being a six month loan. It's probably going to have to be something like 18 month loan. And then towards the end of his contract with Real Madrid, the transfer fee might be cheaper. So then he'll eventually get a move outside of Madrid permanently. But I guess we could just speak on that whole transfer for him and how it didn't work out. And is Frankfurt really the best fit for him? Because I think at this point, I think it is. I think it's the only fit. I think I saw some good tweets today where it was kind of like everyone's hammers Barcelona for their bad transfer strategy. But you do have to kind of also look at Real Madrid after the Jovic and Hazard deals. It's weird because it's kind of like you had Benzema, who's a top three, top five uh, centre forward in the world, whatever you want. Um, and you bought Better a guy. <laughs> not even go down that road, mate. Um, and and then you go and you go buy one of the best up and coming strikers in the world to offer competition. Don't give him any minutes. Um, Benzema gets better. He becomes so pivotal to uh, everything you do. And you get yourself in a situation where it's like, without him, we're quite shit. So we can't really play Jovic. I think there, there might've been some attitude things as well there. I mean, I, I keep saying on this show and I've said it before that like Zidane as a manager to me really fascinates everyone. I think in football because he's really pragmatic. doesn't really play great football. He doesn't really have amazing relationships with footballers. Like Sergio Ramos might be going out on a free, um, obviously Ronaldo left, uh, and it doesn't clearly, you know, Marcelo's in and out of the team. Like, I don't think he has, the, he's not the best man manager. Um, but yet he still gets results and he still wins trophies. So he's not very easy to sack. Um, and he might be responsible for bad squad building because of people he likes and dislikes. But if he gets the job done and wins trophies, then you can't really hold that against him. Even though as a club, you should be looking at uh, the long term. Um I think there's a lot there. I mean, clearly, you know, Eintracht Frankfurt have um, have got decent firepower this season. Um, Jovic coming in, uh, and it's the kind of club that uh, strikers who haven't done that well before, as you guys will know, well know, <laughs> have gone back there and started firing again. Uh, Andre Silva, I think, two goals in his last game, uh, done quite well this far so far this season. Um, there is clearly an opportunity there for players to go and and do well, but like it's weird because Sebastian Haller and Luka Jovic haven't worked out at either clubs they've they've gone to, mm-hmm. um, so that is another thing. Maybe it was just a one season system type thing, which is interesting. But uh, yeah, I- interesting signing if they can get him back. Uh, him and Andre Silva potentially creating a partnership would be quite good to watch. I think it's he, Jovic is still young enough too, where um, if he makes the most of this return to Frankfurt, then he obviously can you know, get a move back somewhere else and all those sorts of things. But you have to, you have to wonder what the next step would be, right? Because I think, you know, you have that immediate hype and he's played at Benfica, you know, then he went to Frankfurt. He did had a sensational year. I think it was Haller, as you mentioned, but also Rebic was there. They had a really good attacking uh, uh, trio there. And then they all kind of disbanded and they've had varied success. I can make a case that, uh, Rebic has been obviously the most successful because Haller um, is no longer at West Ham, if I'm correct. I think that he's already moved elsewhere. But you look at this, and if Jovic goes back to Frankfurt and scores, he's obviously not going back to Real Madrid, right? He's Where does he go from here? Because I think that's also a big factor here. And you know that's also a risk that a lot of these young players, I guess, are willing to take, some maybe shouldn't take, is getting that such that big move early on in your career and then you're not when you don't you know kick on the way many people expect you to. Then you're taking a step back. It's like okay, well now we know he's clear cut, not ready for um, the Real Madrid platform, the Barcelona platform, and that could be a dangerous thing for a young footballer. So I, I always like going through the, the, the. I always become fascinated with the the journey of of a young footballer through um, the tra- the years of transferring and, and trying to make that steady progression versus, you know, baptism by fire being thrown into the deep end and you being one of the guys to replace a Ronaldo type as far as production goes. And we'll have to wait and see how this plays out. 
I know, you know, to your point, Andres Silva has done really well. He used that as a really good opportunity, you know, going from Milan back to, uh, you know, on loan to Frankfurt, eventually having a permanent deal. And he's looked really sharp, which is bodes well for him with the international squad. And then you have some of these other instances where they kind of get lost, like Piontek. Piontek went from, he was at Genoa, he scored, he went to Milan. And at Hertha Berlin, he's really not doing much of anything. So is this the downward spiral of Jovic as we know it? Is, is he someone that can pick it back up? Or is he going to be someone that had that one year at Frankfurt and in five to seven years, people are writing articles about what could have been Luka Jovic. And it, ultimately it's up to him to apply himself, dedicated, yes, but be responsible. As, you, as Martina, you mentioned, that's inexcusable, you know, in, in this climate with, with a pandemic to be breaching COVID-19 protocols and just being very careless. You're playing for Real Madrid. You're representing Real Madrid as a company, as a company, as a brand, as a football club. You got to act better and you got to act like you're at a big club and you have that responsibility. And I'm hoping he does that at Frankfurt because I think there's potential in there. He's still very young. There's another striker, isn't there? Um, Moussa Ndobele going to Atletico Madrid, which we wanted to mention as well. I mean, mm-hmm. that's an interesting fit. Diego Costa having his contract terminated and then replacing him with a relatively expensive striker um, and one that hasn't played a lot of football for the last 12 months, uh, but who, who was looked at every single January and every single summer by pretty <laughs> much every single Premier League club has ended up going to Atletico Madrid. It's an option of 33 million. <laughs> I, I don't love it i get the i get the whole thing with the diego costa heading on out soon so they do obviously have to look at replacements it, it obviously seems that they want to go with experience someone who has all that and is he gonna has, start though like I'm, i just i, I don't i don't i think he's third, i just don't think it's great i, I think he's you know? gonna score goals but i think he's the third option and he's like so it's luis suarez and um jao felix as the, as the top two i think they'll play yeah. as a four in the four four two up two and then you've got angel correa and him pretty much hmm. as the next two is that uh-huh. enough to get them over the hump to win La Liga? Does it get could them be. deep into the, the semi? I think it could be enough for La Liga, but in terms of Champions League, I don't think that's like a move that says... I don't know. Though, do Atletico Madrid need any more first-teamers? Like, when you look at their team, I don't know. Like, I'd argue that, like, they're kind of all rightly set up in terms of their starting eleven. I don't know how many players they could buy. That, I just like, don't know if Suarez means. can handle all the minutes like that. No, and that's going to be the, tough. You know, and that's probably that's one of the, the reasons thing. they've got their melee in. Yeah. But you were talking about how he hasn't played as much. So it's kind of, you know, it's a give yeah. or take at this point. So it's, re- it's really difficult. And again, this is why these markets are so difficult because you don't really have a lot of options. Clubs aren't also willing to sell a lot of these top talents and strikers because strikers is they're They're the most expensive, right? There's not as many yeah. as they used to be. We did that bit, right, where we looked at the kind of the 21 players on, on yeah. transfer market yeah, and exactly. Haaland is so, so much better than everyone else on that list. And you've got like Eddie and Ketier in like 17th or whatever. Yeah, or 13th. They're, like, like, they're like diverse. There's a limited amount. Positions. Like they, they, they play a combination of positions. You know, they're not true number nines. And also teams aren't going to be selling these players for a cut rate at this point. Like they want to wait till things are back to normal and then you could sell them for a better price because right now you're not get the price that you would be selling for a certain player, depending on who it is, you're not going to be getting the best price possible, right? Yeah. Like you're going to be, you're going to be taking a hit like most people have, but hopefully that works out for them. We have to wrap up because the timer went off when I was on mute a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> um, so yeah. This is a huge month. You guys have everything to look forward to in terms of live streaming stuff, post matches with some of the major matches coming up within the coming weeks and months of the season. Then Euro 2021 is just around the corner too, which is very exciting for that. And I'm pretty sure the World Cup's only 18 months away or something. Well, let's pray that the Euros carries on. Uh, yeah, I mean, we got we got to hope uh, a lot of the stuff carries on. But um, let's get to plugging social media. Pet over a thousand followers. Um, I wasn't on. Last I'm bowing. Time for I'm that. bowing. I'm standing up. And <laughs> he's he's bowing. <laughs> <laughs> um, finally, congratulations. Well deserved. All Thank your you. work that you do with everything football index guide as well. A lot of people don't know when our Zoom chats, it doesn't pop up as Pepperisha. It's just football index guide. <laughs> um, so that's a, that's just a fun uh, footnote to have. So plug away everything that you have 
at Pet Barisha on Twitter, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A, uh, mainly tweeting about um, Emil Smithrow. <laughs> yes, 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 yeah. They, they, they're becoming very big over here, Arsenal, by the way, because really? troops, troops, and I don't know if you've seen Barstool. any of troops stuff yeah, with Barstool. Barstool. Yeah, yeah. Matt would know this. Him and Za, Za is um, they're funny. Uh, one I'm of the producers, they're, funny. their their personalities bounce off of each other like so well because Za's more the optimistic Arsenal fan, and we all know how troops is. So it's it's getting bigger and bigger. So it's it's really funny to see see that because we work with you, and it's it's just I don't know. It's just really funny to see because they're in New York City, very close to Matt and I. Matt, go ahead and uh, plug it in. Sure. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Make sure you guys are following the State of Play pod on all socials. And be on the lookout for some uh, Milan Reports post-match reactions and podcasts with Martino and I. We are going to be blowing that up. and We're going to be getting to 100,000 followers on Twitter on that account. So <laughs> Milan Reports on Twitter. Make sure you guys follow <laughs> I thought you there. said State of Play. I was like, whoa, <laughs> how are we doing that? Hey, we, we hit 2K, which was great. And we're getting, we're getting more and more followers. So, I mean, it's just been great. And the consistent listens too. So, yeah. Matt's close to 10K. I think you're going to get to 10K, by the way, um, by April. Is my, that's the goal. That. I think it well, might listen, be end of the season. I might. This is this is this is the stuff of dreams, right, Milan? I think if Milan four, win the, the the league, you guys are going to. Oh, screw that though. And then I get 10k like on the day we clinch the title, or time just I can't be greedy. And, per, and, per, and perspective, <laughs> by the way, just for betting stuff and just um, you know how major it would be if they do end up winning the title. Two thousand to one odds they were prior to the season. And for comparison, Dang. do you guys know what Leicester's odds were? 5,000 to 1. Yep, 5,000 to 1. Like, that's how insane it is. We think, obviously, Milan would be winning the league considering the situation. 2,001 is insane. It always is, but 5,000 to 1, it's just, Unreal. again, you just you can't, you can't ever get over how amazing that was. But I'll plug my social media. Um, it's just at Martino Puccio. There's a ton of sports going on. I know there's been a lot of baseball stuff. Nobody really gives a shit about that besides my friends from <laughs> back home. So I'm trying to get more people interested. Pet is not whatsoever. Um, hockey's coming back this week as well. Um, NFL playoffs. There's a ton of stuff. Um, Milan reports, please, please uh, check in on that. We did great with the post-match stuff as well on the state of play. Matt, I think we were peaking at 190 after the Juve match live, live viewers. Um, so it's just been so great. Um, I don't think there's really anything else, right, guys? Um, other than that, you could just listen to some more. Thanks for listening, guys. Mm-hmm.